from the team at CTS, this is the TrainRate Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Corinne Malcolm, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure you also listen in to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host, Coach Adam Pulford, which alternates weekly with the running episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to be here. It's been it's been fun to uh, get in touch with you over the the course of these this crazy year. So, yeah. Yeah, I I was thrilled. I was like, "Oh, we have to have Jason on. Um we're going to talk about the film. We're going to talk about what what is so cool about the film and the project that you did um i feel very fortunate that i've gotten you know a sneak peek at things um and it's super inspirational we watched it in our living room and just were floored um my husband's from washington from the cascades and he was like i want to do that and that one and that link up so you've inspired a little fire in him as well so it's really really cool i think it's going to speak to lots of people but part of the reason why i wanted to reach out to you is that you took on this insane project you had you were looking at getting your hundredth fkt and you thought why not run a hundred summits for that hundredth fkt so can you can you just walk us through like what is the like the hundred bulgers project and what that like does like set the stage for the listeners there because i think we want to get all their brains wrapped around the magnitude of that project. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, that hundredth FKT project by itself. And that, I, I think people get confused there. There's kind of two projects going on. It's like, there's the hundred FKTs, which was an ongoing three-year project to just do different, either established or new, new FKTs. Um, and then for number 100, so 99 already done for number 100, it was an odd bit of poetic justice to take on a 100 peak peak list. And there are these different peak lists all around the country and all around the world, um, groupings of peaks geologically or by state. Um, and the one for the state of Washington, their list of uh, their hundred tallest peaks happens to be named after the group of people who originally did them. They, they went by the Bulgers. Um, and so it's got a weird name, but it is a peak list. And, you know, people have been chasing times on, you know, the Colorado 14ers and even uh, the Colorado Centennials or, you know, Colorado's 100, 100 highest for quite some time. And it's, you know, gone back and forth. And I was looking for this, you know, being a school teacher, I was looking for sort of this cumulative final exam, right? That's just how my mind works at this point after a decade of teaching. And I wanted it to be a real test piece that that accented all of the skills and styles that I'd had to use and grow previously in the previous 99 FKTs. And <clears throat> the Bulgers list was just to a whole different level than other peak lists. Um, one of the ways that helps convey uh, part of this is this is a hundred peaks. And if you just look at the height of them, like a lot of them are in the 8,000 uh, foot range between 8,000 and 9,000. So, so you might think, Oh, that's not that hard. That's easy. It's like, no, if you're generous with your description of a trail, if you're very generous with your description of a trail, four of them have a trail to the top. Every other peak involves glacier travel, involves technical rock climbing, involves heinous temperate rainforest bushwhacking. And 
if if you image the state of Washington, um, as far as vertical relief per square mile, like how much does the terrain change in in uh, elevation over a given square mile? The only place in the United States that you can find more elevation change per square mile is if you take certain aspects of Denali in Alaska. That's like the only the only place where you get more vertical change. Um, so it's it's extremely rugged, extremely steep terrain with a ton of flora and fauna. It's, it's, yeah, it was, I didn't realize exactly what I was signing up for when I did. It's like people kind of made me aware with little hints saying like, oh yeah, terrain determines speed, not fitness. They would, I would hear things like that all the time. Like, oh yeah, you think you're going to be able to move faster here. You think you're going to be, be able to do better than what we're telling you, but you're not. (laughs) <laughs> no, my so my husband is from the Cascades and his parents were like friends with Fred Becky, right? So like the guy who got up these things first in a lot of ways. And they were following one of his like descriptions out some drainage and it said like, oh, you can average about one mile an hour. And it took them eight hours to go one mile down this drainage. So we'll we'll brag about how amazing Washington and the Cascades all the way through Oregon, right? The Cascades are amazing, but also you gotta love Slide Alder. And you got to love Devil's Club, I think, if you really want to get into what's so cool about there. I'm wondering, you know, we'll talk some technical stuff and then we're going to kind of tie in some life story here. But um, how many of those peaks, so there's a hundred of them that you had to go do. How many of them have you had you done previous to starting this project? I had climbed Adams and I'd climbed Rainier. So you're on sighting the other 98 peaks. Yeah. Classic. Okay. And then I love the, t- the, the the description of like this culmination of training that you had done from all these other FKT projects over the previous three years, right? You have really technical terrain and you're looking at some really long days, like with the link ups and the logistics of getting into some of these zones. So from a kind of from like an athlete holistic, like training perspective, I mean, obviously it's a culmination of years of work, but at the same time, like when you've got your eyes looking at this summer long project with ultra length days in it, plus skills, like how did, how, like how can an athlete think about trying to put that all together? That seems like a a huge undertaking. Um, oh man, so many different ways to slice that. Um, I think, I think as far as starting somewhere and progressing toward that. I I kind of came out of, uh, ultra endurance and endurance sport, uh, ran in high school, ran in college, um, and then got into marathons, biked across the USA when I graduated college. So started picking up biking, um, as another form. And then I got into triathlon. So like I built like this mindset, like, Oh, this is how you do multi-sport when you're integrating different skills. You need to practice your swimming and your biking and your running and your transitions between them. So I'd already kind of acquired this, like, mental process that it was normal to, to mix sports and to just, you sit down and you figure, okay, the fastest integration of these two looks something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and also then how to practice multiple skills and multiple fitnesses, if you will, at the same time. Um, and it's, so I guess the process was one, you know, a, a lot of people know who, who know my story at all. know I had a big car accident in 2015 that took away my running. Um, among other things, uh, it was pretty severe and I could, I could basically walk and I could swim 
and I I could use my upper body because my upper body was relatively undamaged other than nine broken ribs and uh, a shoulder that was Casual. messed up. Um, so I started, I started climbing. I was, I started, well, one thing led, led to another is I started hiking and then hills led to bigger hills and then to mountains. And then finally I got to bigger mountains and mountains that had technical summits. And I was like, okay, I guess I need to learn to be a rock climber. Um, so joined the local climbing gym and was literally just the worst person there, like laughably <laughs> bad. There were like 11 year old kids who could climb things. I couldn't climb. People would be like, oh yeah, grab that jug, uh, climbers jargon for a, an easy hold. Yeah. that you should be able to rest on. And I would like not be able to hang on to the thing they considered a jug. Um, and so just had to go through this process of being willing to suck at something new. Um, and it's like a different style of training. You know, it's like more power-based, more strength-based. Um, so it actually ended up integrating well with trying to continue and build back my endurance fitness um, because I could use very different it is a very different mindset and a very different training um, process to build that power and strength to be confident in my rock climbing moves. And so you kind of look at how those fit together in a training, in a training week and a training month and go, okay, I'll be doing these things that are strength and power for my climbing and skills related for my climbing. Um, and, you know, that's a nice part about a lot of the technical skills as well as a lot of the skills. It's like, you're not tying your, your repel skills, your, they're non energy intensive. They're just mentally intensive to make mm -hmm. sure you can dial them out correctly when you need to. Um, so it's actually, it's not terribly difficult to integrate a broad skill set into an ultra endurance training week and just go, okay, like on this day, I'll be doing, you know, rope skills and repelling. And on this day, I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, along with my long run, I'll also do, um, you know, some finger hanging drills and build that finger strength. It's like kind of just seeing how those things fit together. Uh, so then you fast forward that for, you know, three years of integrating that and then creating different expressions of it through the FKTs I did. I got very into run plus scramble type stuff in Yosemite and in Red Rocks. Um, one of my favorites that was kind of a personal vendetta um, was soloing uh the entire solar slab route there which is cool. one of the tallest five six routes in the country um and i don't know why it just got stuck in my head i'm like i, I want to do this and getting to a place where i could comfortably solo that whole thing was a, a big part of the journey for me yeah um, and we'll, we'll talk about that obsession in a second because i think there's there's threads of kind of obsession throughout your entire existence really from being from being a kid but Tying back into training just for one more second, you're an elementary school gym teacher. And I am, yeah. And, you know, you're kind of, honestly, there's a bunch of really, like, cool, amazing endurance folks who are also gym teachers in our sport. Like, Tyler Green is a gym teacher. Um, uh, there's a bunch of teachers. But it's like, I was talking to Tyler the other day about, like, his job. I was like, I didn't know you were a gym teacher. I knew you, were, I knew you worked in education. So I think it's kind of cool that, like, we've got, you know, these people who are inspiring the next generation as well. So what does training look like in and around? Obviously, this FKT fit into your summer break really nicely. But what does training look like with your day job alongside all of that? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I mean, like normally right now, this is my lunch break that we're, we're recording on. I would, I'd be out for a lunch run. Um, I'll do different activities with the students. And like in my head, I know like, oh, this is me 
picking up bits of finger hanging or while I demonstrate. And then yeah. I'll do a few reps with the students through the day to get in, like sneak in little bits of extra training time, which, you know, it's kind of lucky with the job I have, but also it's inspiring to my students. And I think that's probably why they, we find uh, people who pair teaching with this sort of a lifestyle is it, you avoid that hollow emptiness at the end of a big effort because there's a reason there's a reason beyond just finishing it it's like oh now i get to go inspire with it so it almost makes the whole thing operate at a higher level because the whole time you're doing something big you know like this is going to matter to someone more than me yeah Um, there's a why even if it's just those little tiny souls that run around in my gym screaming while playing tag you know like at least at least they benefit from this oh yeah and they're the happiest screaming little kids (laughs) i'm i'm sure and they probably i mean my my high school cross-country running coach ran ultras and i thought he was crazy and now like look at us sitting here being like okay that's like totally normal but your story is interesting having watched the movie as well is that you know you were a kid who couldn't sit still you know you have this kind of obsession as well of like okay this is i'm gonna run i'm gonna break this time in the mile i'm gonna i I need to run and then running becomes triathlon and it builds down to like into mountain time like what do you think it is about you that kind of gravitates towards this kind of like you get this idea you get this bug in your head and it's like okay this is the thing you know like soloing that route for example it was like this obsession that kind of came on and stuck so what some people would describe as the weakness of ADHD I was a kid that grew up with ADHD very impulsive behavior all sorts of problems it created for me with relationships and school systems and things like that but as much as people would say like, oh man, like ADHD is a huge detriment to your ability to successfully integrate into society um, and, you know, become a useful worker. The superpower with it is you're absolutely unable to bring yourself to do things that don't have meaning. Like Hmm. I could hyper-focus on anything I could express myself in, or I could find meaning or like a sense of growth and I couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. If there was, if someone just said, do this, cause I said, so it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't get it done. Like couldn't get homework done. Could, could sit back and understand the concepts. If like the teacher could convey it in a way that I could see the value, like I would easily wrap my mind around and master difficult concepts. Um, but like getting that homework done of the concept that I mastered already, like I, I couldn't bring, you know, couldn't bring myself to do it. So I'd like rely on test scores and things like that. But to continue what I was saying, I think where that becomes a superpower is because you're unable to be distracted by all the things everybody tells you you need to do and you have to do because you're unable to spend time just making that a routine. You have to orient yourself around meaning. And so for my whole life, I've been practicing orienting myself around the things that give me a sense of meaning and forward progress in life. And what that looks like is obsession, right? Where I find that thing that I see value in that connects with me, that resonates. And suddenly I'm able to focus on it with indefinite energy, unlimited energy for the tiniest bit of progress. And so I I, I would say that's, that's the root. And that's actually you know, if there's a lesson someone can take from this, this film and from my life is there's value in that to orient yourself around those things. Um, and to not just be going through all the routines that society and our parents and whoever else has, has said, these are the checklists you have to follow for life. 
Yeah. Um, it gives obsession that like a negative connotation and obsession doesn't have to be negative, right? It can be, it can mean meaning or direction instead, Absolutely. which I think is really important. That's really powerful. I think a lot of people have strengths that are also weaknesses or, or seen as, or seen as could be weaknesses, but the, the exact, that exact same quality in them is also their biggest strength, be it their competitive nature or their motivation or their drive or their ability to tolerate pain or whatever it is. You see a lot of this in our sport in general is that all those things provide immense superpowers, but also can be the thing that like derails you to some degree as well, which I think is just a really interesting, like I'm gonna name every single interview I do from now on is just gonna be sports psych. We're just gonna keep, <laughs> keep digging into that. No one wants it, but I'm here for it. Um, okay, so it's not obsession; it's motivation, it's drive. You have meaning in all these directions that are that are kind of pulling you, and then you know you've you're culminating this hundred FKT project in this Boulder summer summit project. What like why was that the the thing? Like why of all the things that you could have done? Looking at your summer, your summer break from from P, from being an elementary school PE teacher, you know what was it that captivated you about that project and and doing it in such a short period of time? Because historically, you know, people have done it over many years or over a, a, a whole calendar year. Trying to like fit it into a very short window seems like a very daunting but very intriguing task. Yeah, I mean. Again, so many layers there. Um, an element of it is it's the Pacific Northwest. Um, I grew up, I was born and raised in Oregon. So it was kind of home turf in a way, even though Washington is a separate state. There, It's kind of similar geographically, um, geologically as well. Um, the Cascades are kind of iconic. Uh, they're, they're in the mountaineering world. They're a great test piece. Uh, many of them, many mountaineers spend a great amount of time in, in the Cascades before going other places. Um, so there's that element to it. Um, as far as like, why would I want to, you know, because the previous record was 410 days. So why didn't I just go do it in 409 days? Um, to me, it was it was about finding something that again, you know, talking about that meaning and that purpose and that direction, that question of what's something I can do in the world that is an odd way of saying it, I guess, like the greatest burden that could be possible for me, but I'm also interested in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we already talked about how it has all these technical elements, this orienteering and this route finding and, and glacier travel and rock climbing. And so it had all these elements of things I knew I was in love with the experience of like being inside that moment, right? I knew I loved that. And I know that I, something that amplifies an experience in nature for me is a clock running. Like when I feel like I'm pushing myself, right? That's what drew me into this whole FKT thing to begin with. I was already out there running around in the mountains. Once my running came back after the car accident, I was already doing this and I discovered FKTs after the fact. And I actually had to go backlog a couple of cool routes that I came up with um, after the fact, cause I was just already like in love with what can I do and how hard and fast can I do it? That feeling of I'm bringing my very best to a beautiful and challenging part of nature. Um, for me, that's always been the marriage that creates the, the best experience. Um, so there was that, that element of it as well. And this idea of like, okay, what is the very best 
I can bring to this project. And that's why the aim became 50 days. Um, because after doing all of six months of planning and calls with people who'd climbed different peaks and finding GPS information and route descriptions and compiling all of this uh, and sorting out like how to mitigate you know, fire risk and how to, you know, select which, which order to do which routes and what linkups were efficient and which ones weren't like after doing all of that, um, the very best I thought I could do was going to be right around that 50 day mark, you know, maybe just a, a day or two under, maybe just a day or two over. Um, and so, yeah, it was super amazing, actually, uh, a sense of deep satisfaction. The way I phrased it right after finishing was hard work well done, a feeling of hard work well done, just being very like deeply pleased with what I'd done because I thought it was possible to do 50 days and I did 50 days, 23 hours, 43 minutes. Um, like to sprint down that final mountain, racing the clock to stay in that day mark of what I'd predicted just felt it, it all was right with the universe. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty satisfying, I would say, to be like, wow, we really nailed that prediction. Like, I thought this is what I was capable of. I thought that's what we were capable of. Because it's obviously, yeah, although, yes, you yes. you ran every step. And that's how I feel about like I my TRT, for example. It's like, I keep saying we did it because I couldn't have done it without the people I did it with. So talking to that a little bit, like what did it look like that six months of planning? to get to the start of this thing? Like, what did that look like from a, like getting all the logistics together of biggest days, you know, linking these things up in the right direction, having climbing partners for some of those things. And then also mitigating the fact that like to get into some of the Northern parts of the Cascades, like normally we go through Canada to get to a lot of that stuff and you couldn't do that with, with the pandemic. So what did that look like as far as like prepping for things to go as right as possible, but knowing that things could go wrong as well? Oh man. Um, I guess I'll say that at, at every step, even for even when I, you know, started the watch and took the first steps for the project, but on every step along the way with the planning, there was this just embracing the high probability that it would all end in failure, right? Like mm -hmm. that it couldn't be done in the way I thought it could be done. And just having to thrive in spite of or maybe even because of that chaos that that I was trying to to reach into the chaos, something undone, something in a way no one no one had ever thought to do it um or at least executed on on their mm -hmm. thinking to do it um there's this element of like yeah i i could be as ridiculous as some people think i am and this could be absolutely impossible and i might step out there and get absolutely shut down um and have this stuffed back in my face um and just having to embrace all of that every step of the way was was a part of the journey um and yeah, I think as far as planning, you know, at first it was just, you know, cause I was, as we already alluded to, I, I was on-siting 98 of these peaks. So it was, it was, I started by listing the hardest obstacles I would face and, and like, uh, corresponding with people who'd done the list and people who were currently doing this list, like what are the key challenges and risks hazards I'll face? Um, and starting with that and assessing, are any of these outside of my technical capabilities? Um, and when I saw that there was basically one, uh, one rock climbing move that normally I wouldn't be willing to solo, but it was like a boulder problem with a ledge below. So it's like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. 
I'm willing to do that solo because if something goes wrong, like I can just hop back down to the ledge. Um, so very cleanly and clearly being able to assess that, like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to solo on up to five, seven rock terrain. Um, are how many of these peaks fall outside of that category? And basically, like I said, there was one, uh, a one move wonder boulder problem that went, went at five, nine on, uh, Dorado needle. And so that was kind of a crux piece that sat in my head. And then there were, uh, five other peaks that had fifth class, uh, climbing that was in that category of fifth class that I'm like, Ooh, this could go either way. Um, so better be prepared to, with at least a little bit of protection in case, um, in case I need it to get through any portion. Um, so once that was done where it's like, okay, there's nothing outside of my technical prowess, then it's like, okay, what are the routes? What fits together? Um, how many days is this whole project potentially possible? And, and then bouncing that off of people who were experienced, like, what do you think? You know, Eric, Eric Gilbertson, the previous record holder, he was a huge help. You know, he, he ran some of his own predictions on how fast he thought it could go. And we landed in the same ballpark with our first guess. And I, that, that's what made me think, okay, this does fit into a school summer. You know, I don't have to quit my job and end my career to go, to go do this effort. Um, I can remain a stable, healthy adult, uh, while still doing something that's absolutely consuming. consuming. Yeah, exactly. Um, so brought, brought that, that into it, figured out, okay, this is possible in the timeframe that I have available. Um, and it's, pretty much the biggest thing I could fit into that time frame available as well, which made it attractive, right? Where it's like, you know, if just a few things go wrong, like it might not fit, it might not happen. Plus the the feeling of racing the fire, the fire season as well was was there. Just unpre- unpredictable. Yeah. How do you like so you've got, you know, you've got the you're you're you've assessed your challenges, you've looked at the potential outcomes, kind of you've you've asked for help, which is an, I think a very valuable um, part of that that skill set, but then like there's obviously an unpredictable nature. So that, to that to, there's weather, there's injury, there's ultra length days in there, there's route finding, there's making mistakes. Like how did you like how did you mentally and or prepare your crew for that that little that perfect ultra magic of unpredictability? Um, I mean, for me, I, I tend to thrive in chaos. That's other, another byproduct I think of the ADHD is everything is so chaotic for someone who grows up with that uh, because of how our brains work um, that thriving in chaos is something we do fairly well. So I was ready for like all these pieces and things to go wrong and like this will probably happen and I'll just deal with it when it comes and I'll figure out this route when I get there. And I've, I've learned how to structure things together and sort of uh, I almost think of them as separate outings or, or uh, pieces on the puzzle, if you will. Uh, the chess pieces on the board and it's like, okay, these can move in different orders and they can interact with each other in different ways. So if, if this goes wrong, I'll move the pieces this way and hope that the status of whatever's hanging me up changes by the time I get there. Um, you know, one reason for doing the Chilliwax so late in the effort, which is the hard group to get to, uh, when you alluded to, having to go in through Canada, it was going to be really ridiculously hard to get to those because of Canada not being open. So part of the reason they got moved toward the back of the project was the potential, the Canadian border would reopen. Um, and it reopened two weeks after I finished the project. <laughs> so, uh, got to go in the hard way and, and earn it, but, uh, assessed and made decisions 
that way and kind of had everything in my head laid out where it's like, okay, if this, then that, um, so that I knew I could, I could make on the fly decisions about which peak groups and how they grouped up and which way they could be approached and exited from, um, and just had those kind of chess pieces in my head ahead of time. I was gonna say that's interesting. It kind of reminds me of like the, like the general ultra mindset of being like, okay, like I'm running, I'm, I'm in this segment of the course or I'm in this segment of this thing and like trying not to get ahead of yourself. And I'm wondering as you've got all these chess pieces in your head and maybe this is the ADHD that allows these pieces to be so mobile and so like able to move them quickly, as opposed to maybe the rest of us who are more rigid in our mindsets because of just our, our, the, the way our brains work, you know, like, how do you not get ahead of yourself in that too? Like, how do you not at, you know, day one, not think about day 49? Um, I think part of the, part of the beauty of that is being able to hyper-focus and also being aware within, you know, just sort of my inner work with myself that it's like the whole reason I'm out doing it is for being in the moments uh, while I'm out there doing it, not for the finish line. Like I've done enough of this to know why I'm there. And so the thing, my mind, once the big, once the big, you know, chessboard is filled out and I know how the pieces work, what I'm there for is what is the challenge I'm looking forward to today? Like, Oh, I can't wait till that fifth class, 2000 feet of fifth class rock climbing. That's going to be epic. The views are going to be awesome. Oh, we get to traverse this glacier. Like that's going to be awesome. I hope the crevasses aren't ridiculous. Like what if we have to jump over a crevasse? Like this is going to be wild. Um, oh man, this is going to be a heinous, you know, 5,000 feet of downhill and two miles through bushwhacking terrain. Like, Oh, that's going to be heinous. Um, so just kind of being present in the moments. Uh, once the project started is something that's uh, both a developed skill and something that I think comes fairly naturally for me. So it was very easy. And, you know, occasionally I have to remind myself, you know, just run the mile you're in. That's something Mm -hmm. we've all, the phrase we've all heard. Um, But I don't know. It's like, I look forward to the challenges because that's why I'm there. Like I I'm looking forward to that next thing. So sometimes, yeah, it was like, okay, I have to, I need to run, you know, 20 miles of trail to get out to the thing I'm actually looking forward to. Um, and so sometimes some of that was a little bit daunting, but it was also like, ah, but I do have something to look forward to. So it's not that hard. And then, yeah, it was kind of keeping the next day out of mind, except, except I, I called it uh, learning to move like an old man um, because I had to approach this different than even like doing the Rainier Infinity Loop when I, when I took down that record. It's a short enough time span that you can write checks that your body can't cash. Um, like yeah. you can just yard sale everything out there. Cause it's like, Oh, I, I won't walk for five days. That's fine. I won't walk for five days, but I'll have done the thing. Well, there was no option to make a decision to write even a check for more than a cent over what my body could, could cash because three weeks later I was still going to be out there climbing peaks and in dangerous terrain. And so to write even a little too much each day, I might be out on a fifth class, you know, route when I have a meltdown, like that's not an option. Um, so yeah, I called it learning to move like an old man where I was like thinking, okay, how many times am I landing on my right foot versus my left foot when I hop over a down tree? Yeah. Uh, you know, down to these little things like, okay, you know, how much impact force while running downhill and, you know, yeah, just paying attention to things normally I would not even consider because I would be too focused on just pushing harder and going faster. Yeah. Uh, 
that speaks to like that unknown though, right? It's like this, this effort was finally long enough that it was like truly entering the unknown for you. Like how obviously like you seem to have handled the unpredictability of a FKT like this really well. Like what you said, you had to learn to move like an old man, but like how, you know, akin to unpredictability, like that unknown aspect, right? Like how does one meter out this effort with the hopes that on day 40 or 42 or 48, like people feel this way about mile 80 of a hundred too, of like what's going to happen for the next 20 miles. Like how do you, how did you approach the unknown? Because you don't get to do those distance jumps very often like this. <sighs> um, I just believed that the, the sense of meaning and the passion would sustain me during the difficult times it always had in the past. And so I leaned in that, that I was, I was going to be motivated by that, that sense of purpose, um, because I'd chosen something that was aligned with, you know, when you, when you sit down, when you sit down to plan something, I always find that putting the pencil to the paper is very revealing because if you put the pencil to the paper to really finally turn a dream into a reality and your motivation decreases, it's a sign that on some intuitive instinctual level, you know, it's not the right time or it's not possible. Um, when you put the pencil to the paper and motivation increases, it's a sign that somewhere deep in there, there's a part of you that really knows like, yeah, this is it. Like this thing I've, I've been dreaming of is actually, it can become a reality. Um, and I'd had that experience as I put the pen to the paper on this one. And so it was kind of this faith, if you will, that's like, no, like when, when the hard days come and you know, my Achilles tendons are both swollen and I'm thrashed. And I had a day where I couldn't get any food down. So now I'm calorie deprived and trying to catch back up and the muscle cramps are setting in and I'm still trying to make fourth class and fifth class route climbing moves. Um, that in those moments where it was scary and uncomfortable and it hurt that I was still going to go, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was about to ask you like, did like what, what went wrong? But it sounds like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't perfectly smooth sailing. It sounds oh, like no. there, were, there were some melties out there. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I was in a completely unbuilt out van during the, like a hollowed out tin can of, of a van because my previous van had broken down right before this effort. So I had to scramble and get into something else. And all I could find was just an unbuilt cargo van. Um, so this hundred plus degree heat wave, like one of the, one of the hottest ones on record in Washington rolls through. Um, and I'm in this tin can, right? So really difficult to get good sleep, really difficult, you know, changes the logistics to try to occasionally like get a hotel room for a night and have some air conditioning and a shower. Um, you know, things like that. I had a, I had a day where trying, just trying to work out all the logistics with the film crew coming out, um, and that same, you know, heat stress, uh, you know, planning stress, like moving the chess pieces. Um, then our you know, pizza, because they were understaffed, like never showed up, ordered a pizza, never showed up. So, uh, the crew, you know, had to go pick it up. Um, and we ended up being up late instead of getting extra sleep, ended up with less sleep. Um, and just all this stress, like woke up the next day with my stomach just turned inside out, like for the whole day, pretty much couldn't get food down. And still out like bagging four peaks that day, five peaks that day, um, just unable to eat deep in the back country. Um, just kind of wondering like, is this it? Like if 
at some point, if I can't put calories in and I keep burning calories out, like the whole system shuts down and it's game over. Um, luckily it turned around about three quarters through the day and was finally able to put, put stuff back in, but just say, you know, sort of abiding that like, yeah, I'm extremely uncomfortable. I feel like vomiting. I can't eat, but I've been in situations where this has turned back for the better in the past. And so I'll abide the discomfort and keep moving forward and believe that it'll turn around again. Um, so a bunch of situations like that. Another one that comes to mind is a fire did break out that shut down highway 20 and I had to divert all the way around instead of what would have been like a 15 minute drive to get to the trailhead. I wanted, uh, turned into an eight hour drive to get to the trailhead I wanted. And I had to, again, move those chess pieces because a few of the peaks I was going to do a bit later were right next to the fire um, or were relatively close to the fire, not right next. I didn't feel like it was high risk and the land wasn't closed. Um, But I'm like, just in case the wind shift, which could put these peaks in jeopardy, I need to flip the schedule around and just go hard to tag these three peaks with, you know, smoke in the air and a fire burning right nearby um, and just go for it. And so just committed and jumped in um, to go, to go quickly tag those three peaks. Um, and just being able to like do that. And that was actually a low point. Cause, uh, Ashley, who you know, my, my significant other, she, she was a huge support person, you know, helping run base camp and hiking stuff in along trails where I could do a big peak peak link up and then drop down for a restock and like sleep in a tent and then go hit the next big peak link up right from there, instead of having to go all the way out and all the way back in. Um, she had to be gone cause she was, uh, leading an all women's guided trip on Mount Shasta. And so she was gone for a chunk of time with that. And then also my climbing partner at the same time had to be the one who'd become Nathan Longhurst, who became the youngest person to finish this whole list because of our partnership with, which I think is one of the coolest out so cool. of this, like so stoked. And now he's onto his own really big project. He's going to take on the uh, SPS list this year here, starting in, in less than a month now, um, which is a, pe- a list of 248 peaks of the Sierras. Um, so people want someone to follow that's someone to follow this year. Um, but yeah, he, he was gone because his sister was getting married. So I'm solo fire breaks out. I'm exhausted, you know, alone have to like scramble logistically have to check. Like, is it all over? Is a, is one of the peaks I haven't climbed on fire? Like, you know, that emotional turmoil while, while sleep deprived, exhausted, trying to drive myself, trying to feed myself. Um, and I remember like that, like, that first part of the trail out onto this big, like 40 mile push, um, to link these peaks up, just being at a huge emotional low and just, just struggling to have the motivation to move forward. Um, and just like wrestling with that and wrestling with that and wrestling with that. And I rounded this corner and like stuff was kind of starting to come together in my head. And then the view of the peaks I was going to climb, it, like I rounded a corner and they came into view on the horizon and they were catching kind of the alpine glow of the evening. And it was just like, at that moment, I remember like the pieces fell in, like, it's going to be okay. You're, you're doing something you love, just go do it. And it was just like, yeah, okay. Everything's going to be all right. <laughs> That's so, so, so cool. Well, while we kind of, I mean, I want to talk to you about this for forever, but we're going to abide by your, by your lunch break here. So we're going to slowly round, like, you know, bring things back together. The film, I've gotten to see it journey to a hundred. So, so cool. Tell us, you know, what, what do you hope people get from it? When can people get it? Where can people see it? What should we, what should we be looking out for? Um, tell us, tell us about that coming, coming to life. Cause it's really cool. Absolutely. Um, 
I'm really excited about it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an awesome short documentary. It's uh, 30 minutes long. It covers uh, a bit of the background. We talked about me being uh, a, a, a kid that didn't easily just fit into the mold of society. Um, it, it covers my, my journey to, uh, you know, chase, pursue running and pursue, uh, these, these athletic outlets through my life and how the car accident came along and kind of set me back. Um, and then it really focuses in on this journey to hundred FKTs that's consumed me for the last three years. Um, but a lot of the footage is from this Bulger's effort. Um, the hundred peaks. So yeah, I think, I think what people are going to take away from it and I, what I really hope people take away from it is this sense that if you can, if you can orient yourself around that thing, you find meaning and purpose and passion in, and, and, and you dig in to the, the skills and the processes and the systems that move you toward actualizing the dreams you have in it. You know, you put that pin to the paper and, and you, you listen to that intuition that says, yes, this is the way, or mm, not quite this one yet. Um, that you're going to find yourself doing these wild and unbelievable things. These things that people told you wouldn't happen and couldn't happen and your body wouldn't be capable of. Um, and all of that is kind of, yeah, kind of laced into these 30 minutes. And I, I, the creative team, like I can't take credit for it. I, I, I just go climb mountains and teach kids, but the creative team did such an amazing job of conveying all of that in, in and more, I think. Um, it's beautiful. It's a really, in, the, in, the in imagery is really, really cool. We were all, uh, have knowing that area too well, like it was like, Oh yeah, that's a good link up. Oh, that that's a good peak. Okay. So it's, it's really, really beautiful. We encourage you all to watch it. When is it out yet? No, it's, it uh, I think the next chance to see it, it's going to, uh, show with the Vancouver international film fest. Um, so I'll cool. make sure you have a link with, for that, um, for the description. Uh, then the big, the big athletic brewing was the sponsor. Um, they've been awesome to work with, uh, you know, being a PE teacher, health teacher, like I love their product because no, I guess this is the real way to convey it. While I was doing this effort, I had some branding cause they, they helped me when, uh, my van broke down cause they yeah. wanted to see this effort come through. So they helped, helped me get into a new van and people came up because of athletic brewing being on the side, just to tell me like your product changed my life. I'm like, okay, it's not mine. Like I'm, I'm just an <laughs> athlete for them, but that's so amazing. And I, how could I not, you know, as a teacher be behind something that's a tool that people turn their life around with. Um, to me, it's like a no brainer. Like, I love it. Like uh, I'll be a fan, you know, whether I'm still their athlete, you know, five years from now or not, I'm going to be a fan because those moments where people came up tears in their eyes. Uh, yeah, that's those memories aren't ever going to leave. Um, but yeah, back, back, back to being on track. Um, you can watch, uh, the big film launch with athletic brewing is going to start in Brooklyn, April 9th. Um, we're going to do a, a, sh- a showing and a talk there, a conversation and a question and answer. It'll then go to Denver, I think, on April 23rd. And then we will be in Seattle, May 7th. And I think Portland is either the week before or the week after. A little, little fuzzy on my numbers there. Um, I'll make sure you get that to put in the show description. Um, and then it'll launch on outside TV to be able to stream um, in your home mid-May. So that's the, that's the current, the current plan. We'll keep plugging it. I'm, I'm really excited for people to see it. I think it's, it's, it makes you want to go on your own adventure. And I think that's, 
that's the goal of everything that you're doing. Um, we're going to end it there for today so that you'll be able to get back to your students on time. Jason, thank you so much for giving us your lunch break. Corinne, this was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Ride podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com slash podcast, where you can find social links and more for our guests. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.